Attack of the Final Girls is a podcast about the horror genre, so listener discretion is advised. Please check the show notes for specific content warnings for this episode, and of course, beware of spoilers. Welcome to our first bonus episode. We've, we've finally gotten to the we point where recording bonus content. So if you're listening, thank you for listening to bonus content. Yeah, a little something extra for you. Yeah. <laughs> this is episode one of our bonus content. And what we have decided to do since the main podcast is kind of uh, focuses on movies, we, each episode is for one movie, we decided uh, to, to crack into a TV limited series for our bonus episode. So each episode is going to be one episode of the of the show. And we are so excited, at least I am very excited, <laughs> to show Juliet, because I binged this one and she hasn't seen it yet, Midnight Mass. I'm very excited. I feel like our bonus episodes are an excuse for me to have to catch up on my TV watching. So I'm ready. I'm in. And I'm so excited because I've been telling Juliet that she has to watch this since it came out in September of 2021. And... She hasn't gotten a chance to watch it yet, so I'm like, stay late so that we can watch that. <laughs> we'll do it an episode at a time. It's fine. It's yes. Fine. Midnight Mass is a series. It was released streaming only on Netflix September of 2021. I'm pretty sure Netflix is in the business of pretty much dropping the entire season all at once. HBO and Disney Plus are kind of the only ones that do the week by week episode release these days. Well, Netflix does um, release Love is Blind weekly, so you can't watch the the stunning conclusion of oh, the second season. Well, see, that's another one I just need to catch up on. <laughs> yeah, y'all don't don't do it. You'll get sucked in and then you start watching 90 Day Fiance and then it's just all downhill from there. Oh, yikes. Yeah. <laughs> I watch so much serious television now I have to kind of like throw in some garbage stuff every I mean, so often. You need it. It's a palate cleanser. Yeah, it's important. <laughs> but Midnight Mass is another Mike Flanagan series for Netflix. Mike Flanagan has done tons of projects for Netflix. He became famous for Oculus, mm-hmm. which is a very well-loved horror movie. And then he did Gerald's Game for Netflix, which is a Stephen King adaptation. And then he did another movie for Netflix, but really he kind of like picked up steam and got a lot of like love and followers from um, The Haunting of Hill House, then The Haunting of Bly Manor, and then he released Midnight Mass in 2021. So yeah, he's all over Netflix. <laughs> and he's doing um, The Fall of the House of Usher uh, Ooh, for Netflix. Nice. Too. So very nice. He's also doing The Midnight Club. He's adapting a Christopher Pike novel. That's exciting. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know, because I, I know that they're already filming The Fall of the House of Usher. So I'm not sure if, because the Midnight Club was announced prior to The Fall of the House of Usher. So I'm not sure whether or not they're doing it in that order, or if they're going to do House of Usher first. Nice to see Christopher Pike getting in on the right? uh, nostalgia game. Yeah. We had Arl Stein. Then Netflix is like, you know what? Let's do Christopher Pike. Yeah. So I've already seen all of Midnight Mass, so this is going to be my second watch through. But there is so much to chew on in this show. I know that I'm going to miss out on stuff that I saw the first time. Yeah, a lot of people have been telling me I should watch this um, because of the Catholicism of it all. (laughs) 
I have not seen Midnight Mass, but I have attended many a Midnight Mass in my time. So, uh, yeah. This will be a really interesting um, rewatch for me and watch through for you because I am not Catholic and I did not go to Catholic school and I only have a cursory thousand foot scare, uh, stare of Catholicism in general. So, like, it's really interesting as we were kind of watching through, like, Juliet was picking up on a lot of the very deep dive Catholic stuff yeah. that was happening. Catholic deep cuts. <laughs> that should be the name of our side project, um, Electronic Band. Catholic <laughs> deep cuts. And it's just taking, like, uh, Gregorian chants. No, I think that's already a thing. That was like a thing that came, became popular in the early 2000s. I think we're done with that now. Gregorian chants? Oh. The, or no, like techno with Gregorian oh, chants. Oh, okay. I was going to say, Gregorian chants were popular in the, like, 90s, like 1992. Yeah. But then, the, like, making techno with it and then putting it in a Blade movie. Oh, you know? yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's bring it back. Catholic deep cuts. It's time. It's time to come back around to that. But if you're not familiar with the wildly popular Midnight Mass TV show, it's about a man who has recently been released from prison, coming back to a kind of isolated island community um, in the Pacific Northwest. It's been devastated by an environmental disaster and kind of like rekindling or um, reassimilating himself into this town and like figuring out how the town has survived since this environmental disaster and also trying to figure out his own place within it because he's been in prison for four years. At the exact same time, the arrival of a mysterious uh, Monsignor to their (laughs) uber-Catholic, very, very small church. I think they said the population of this town's like 127. Mm -hmm. So it's small. It's real small. Real small, yeah. Uh, but the first episode is just really kind of like getting to know your band of characters and also sowing the seeds for some cool stuff that's getting ready to happen. Yeah. Spooky stuff. Yeah. Spooky, spooky kitties. Um, and then sad dead kitties. Mm-hmm. Well, they're feral. So I would adopt them all. I will adopt all of the kitties. <laughs> there are like hundreds of cats at this one part of the island and by the end of the first episode, obviously spoilers, but there's like hundreds of dead cats after this storm hits the island yeah. and they're like littered all over the beach. It's like, oh no. Yeah. This is the thing I'm most worried about. One of the cats like jorts. It was, <laughs> this is that orange cat. <laughs> Big orange cat. Yeah. One of the things that um, Mike Flanagan does so well is he turns somebody who you would immediately be like, that's a bad guy. Like Riley. Or kind of, I don't want to say the story revolves around him necessarily, but like the the events are kind of set into motion by his homecoming. Former alcoholic uh, had killed somebody in a drunk driving accident, which is why he went to prison. And he was raised very Catholic prior, but then in killing this girl, loses his faith and becomes an atheist in prison. And so you would think he's a bad guy, but then through the the first episode, you kind of see he's not really a bad guy. Stupid, very. Yeah. Um, it, part of a terrible set of circumstances, absolutely. But you can see that there's definitely been some character progress since he's gone to prison. Only being the first episode, we'll kind of see who emerges as 
the sort of villain and protagonist. But what I like is that all of the characters are complex. Yeah. You know, they could have very easily made uh, the father, Riley's father, very one-dimensional as being, you know, the sort of gruff working class father who's trying to provide for his family and is distant from his son and kind of that's that. But he starts that way, but we very quickly get, you know, this scene of warmth and reticent acceptance and, you know, to let you know, like, oh, yeah, this is a hardworking man who's trying to provide for his family and who is not very happy with his son's life choices, but still loves him and cares about him and and is trying to help guide him. And I really like that. I like it when they can give, when especially a series, because we're obviously going to be spending a lot of time with these characters, can give the characters that level of depth and complexity rather than just a caricature or Mm -hmm. a one-dimensional, like, here's the gruff father, here's the loving mother. Mm -hmm. Um, Everybody already is emerging as much more complicated than they would be on the surface. Yeah. Just to kind of brief overview of some of the cast of characters, and and I'll probably go into more depth on the characters like as we go along in the series, but our main cast of characters is Riley, played by Zach Guilford. He's a Flanagan vet. <laughs> He's in a lot of Mike Flanagan stuff. Kate Siegel, Mike Flanagan's wife, also in lots of Mike Flanagan stuff. And then Kristen Lehman, who plays uh, Riley's mom, Annie Flynn. So there's Aaron played by Kate Siegel seems like the former flame of Riley's because he has a photo in prison of the two of them. And she has also just returned to the Island. It's called Crockett Island, the setting of this, which is not a real place, but she has just returned and she is very much pregnant. Uh, She's 20 weeks pregnant and everybody's like, Ooh, who's the dad? And she's just like, yep, I'm pregnant, but I'm here by myself. So just don't ask any more questions. That's it. Okay, bye. (laughs) Like, so, but we're kind of immersed into a very, I don't want to say religious necessarily, because it doesn't strike me as a place that's religious so much as spiritual. Mm -hmm. Like you can, I don't know if you got that same, uh, same kind of vibe from them, but it seems like while, yes, the majority of them are Catholic, it seems like they have very deeply held spiritual beliefs over being like your traditional Catholic, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And it's very, um, it seems like, at least based on this first episode, the thing that roots these people the most is actually their sense of community because there is the sheriff and his son who are Muslim. And although the difference there in a majority Catholic community is pointed out a couple of different times, it's never in a in an outright violent or harmful way. It's just more like, oh, this person doesn't worship the same way we do, but it's not in a way, at least as we're seeing it right now, of discrimination. It's just more observance of difference. Mm-hmm. And they still, you know, save for one character who's a little weird about it. By and large, you see the people just like, oh, yeah, you're you're a part of our community. We embrace you. You're our sheriff. You know, yes, we recognize you don't go to our church, but that's fine. You yeah. know, and it really seems like their sense of like, we're a small community, we're on an island, we are, you know, fishermen, um, that that grounds them more than anything else. Yeah. 
And being such a small community and having so many people kind of leave in droves, it seems like over the past years since the environmental spell that happened, there have been people leaving in droves because there is not as much to go around as there was at one point in time. The mom mentions that the environmentalists post this spill have put limits on the fishermen, and that seems to be the, like, prime, you know, economy of this particular island is the fishing. So if there's not enough to fish or they're not permitted to fish as much, then there's not much else for them to do. And she also mentioned that it's gotten so bad that they don't even try and sell their houses anymore. Mm -hmm. They just leave them, which... It has to be pretty bad if you're not even going to attempt to get any, like, sort of, you know, payback for your huge investment, so. Yeah. Again, we're in the first episode just getting to know this place and these people, but, like, this is what I wanted out of the community in Antlers. Like, this is, this would have been the way to do a community struggling and to convey it well and to convey the real human struggle without getting so depressingly gritty. Yeah. Um, it feels like this is a way to do it because I un- I could understand, you know, from this like, oh, yeah, this is a, this is a place kind of on the brink yeah. of, you know, they could either make it or not. Yeah, but they're being hopeful. They are they're doing the best with the circumstances that they've been given, and yeah, it seems like the community. Because at the at the end of this first episode, there's a huge storm rolling in, and all of the adults in the community kind of band together, and and they're like, "How do we keep everybody safe? And how do we keep the island safe? And how do we keep our infrastructure safe all at the same time?" So you definitely get the sense that like. They're all in this together. And yeah, maybe they're broke. Yeah, maybe everybody's, there's a lot of people whose houses are boarded up and empty. But let's all go to the community center and kind of like, you know, chill out or we'll board up your windows or help you out with this. And we have a plan, that kind of thing. Even though at the time, there's a couple of slights uh, by um, Bev Keen to our sheriff. She's like, oh, you wouldn't know that, though. You know, yeah. kind of like in a patronizing way. And he's like, okay. Um, well, next thing. Yeah. <laughs> also, though, like, so we have a storm. We have several people. I, I don't want to say prodigal sons, but kind of prodigal sons yeah. that are like returning to the island. And then we have the mysterious Monsignor. Yes, um, the new the new priest, young young Nick Cave, as yeah. I called him. <laughs> yeah, um, Father Paul. He is played by Hamish Linklater, and you'll hear me talk about Hamish Linklater a thousand times. I promise you. Um, <laughs> I haven't seen him in a lot of stuff prior to this, and the big stuff that I've seen him in, he's played really small supporting roles. This, oh, he's so good in this. <laughs> I don't want to spoil anything, but he, you'll hear me talk a lot about him and um, the. Person who plays um, Bev Keen, her name is Samantha Sloyan. Both of them just excellent. I did want to say that the first episode is called Book One Genesis, 
Why uh-huh. do you think it is called Genesis? Well, <laughs> aside, from the, aside from the obvious, do, can you think of reasons why it might be called Genesis? Oh my God. I mean, there are so many ways I could go with the story that have to do with the Genesis story. I mean, mm-hmm. aside from just like, it's the first one. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, Genesis sets up the paradigm between good and evil. Right. You know, it's the Garden of Eden. It's the fall. It's the devil. It's the apple. It's, it's the whole thing. Yeah. So... Depending on what direction we're taking this in, and I have many an idea right now, there are lots of things to mine in Genesis. Yeah. I like that you mentioned Adam and Eve. I mean, I don't think it's necessarily extremely clear because I hope that it is obvious, but Riley is not the father of Aaron's baby. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. He's been in prison. Yeah. That would Um, be confusing. (laughs) But kind of an Adam and Eve story and setting up the dichotomy of good and evil. Still very much that's definitely what's happening. But all of the episode names are of um, books in the Bible. So I, I think that that's something that we should revisit is like, why is this episode called this thing? Okay. Um, like the second episode is called uh, Psalms, which is ki- skipping over quite a few books yeah. in, the, in the Bible. So what did you think about their portrayal being a person who is very close to Catholic uh, life at one point in time in your own life? What did you think of the portrayal of this Catholic church? Oh, I mean, accurate. It's certainly different than the church I grew up in or went to school in because, I mean, I think just like everything else, you know, a lot of people's experience with Catholicism, especially if you went to Catholic school or grew up kind of in the same parish, it really depends on the parish you grew up in and sort of the culture of the place. You know, some churches are more liberal, progressive, social justice oriented. Other parishes tend to be more conservative, like within sort of the veil of Catholicism, which tends to tends to trend more conservative generally, though the social justice aspect then pushes it over into progressive land. So this church is obviously very small. It's not part of a of a larger, I mean, it w- it would be, but it's not part of like a larger archdiocese mm-hmm. system, like in the same way that like we would know it around here, where in addition to like the church that I grew up in and the school I went to, you know, we have three Catholic high schools around here. Sure. So that's like over a dozen elementary schools. And then there are other Catholic churches that don't have schools associated with them. So like, this is just like one on its own. So it's a little more of what we would think of here in the Midwest as like a country church, although different setting again. Mm -hmm. But in terms of the rituals and everything, it was like so accurate, like freaky accurate. (laughs) I was like, oh, wow. You know, because you don't always see it, especially in horror done exactly correctly. Like, every exorcism movie ever wants to use Catholic iconography and sometimes they do it well and sometimes even just based on like I can always catch it when they're portraying like a mass because you know you go to mass like not just like on Sundays but as part of your school day um you know all of it and so I can catch if they do stuff wrong yeah there was a movie was one of the exorcism movies that came out in 2021 that like screwed up several like crucial things and i was just like oh come on <laughs> but this was like super super accurate there were a couple of things that were a little antiquated like 
they don't ring the bells anymore during communion. Like that's something that actually went away with Vatican II in the 60s. But I think that there are certainly some parishes, especially like older, more isolated parishes that would still kind of do that tradition, even if it's like you're not technically supposed to (laughs) anymore. You know, I think there are certainly those outliers who would sort of follow those older traditions, especially if the community that it's serving is older. Yeah. So I'll be curious to see kind of how, obviously, you know, with the name of the series and everything else, they're leaning on that pretty heavily. Mm -hmm. So it'll be interesting to see kind of how they do or don't get things right moving forward. But that was actually why a lot of people told me I should watch it. A lot of colleagues and friends were like, I know you grew up Catholic, so I want to know what you think about this. Like, did they do it right? Mm -hmm. Okay, so far, so good. Yeah, because the setting definitely strikes me more like a Baptist church or like a Southern church revival where it's one room, pretty small, you know, but this is like a old school, like, I don't even want to say old school Catholic because that, I mean, they have a new Monsignor, so like he could have fresh ideas, right? Yeah, well, it has more to do, so like the setting, I think that's just like another one of those things like portrayal versus reality, Mm -hmm. like. Yeah, everybody's used to thinking about, like, when they think about a Catholic church, big, ornate cathedrals, Mm -hmm. lots of gold, lots of statues, etc. Sure, that's going to be true in either big cities or in communities that are older. You Mm -hmm. know, in Europe, you're going to see a lot of older, more ornate churches than you are here. When I think about in our area, the further out you get, like the more rural you get, the more the Catholic churches are going to look building wise, like the Baptist churches, like everything Mm -hmm. else, you know, your sort of standard, like one room church. But, you know, the difference is like the going to be the presence of statues and Mm -hmm. the way that the crosses look and things like that. And that still fits in. The kind of interesting thing with the ideas thing is so, this is going to get really technical, but (laughs) Depending on what new priest's deal is here, often with these outlying communities, I think there's less of a direct line to a bishop and then a cardinal and then the Vatican. Oh, okay. So it's like, you know, here we, like this area, we're in an archdiocese that's under a bishop. Mm -hmm. And then there's like cardinals that sort of oversee like larger areas And, like, the cardinals, they report directly to the Vatican. And Mm -hmm. so when there are big changes, like, there was this big change. Oh, God, it's probably been about 10 years ago at this point that they actually refer to in this series that I thought was pretty wild that they're getting, like, that, again, like, Catholic deep cuts here. (laughs) You know, that's something that, like, the Vatican decided. Like, uh, it's a change in language, basically, Mm -hmm. as part of the liturgy. And so, like... When you're part of this bigger archdiocese, like, you're going to get the memo and there's bureaucracy there Mm -hmm. that makes sure, like, this message gets passed along and that you're, like, adhering to these things. And there are mechanisms in place to make sure, like, here are the new words. Here's how you're going to do it. In a remote church like that, it's not to say that no one cares, but it's kind of like, you know, like, who's going to enforce that when yeah. you're on an island of 127 people? Where's your, who's your supervisor? <laughs> yeah, where, where is your supervisor? <laughs> and also, like, and this is, like, the great debate of, this is the great debate of religion in general, but, like, Catholicism especially, because there was just a story in the news about this, like, 
does it really matter if you say one word differently? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And there was just that huge story about this bishop in Arizona that a priest or bishop that apparently switched a word in like many, many, many baptisms. And now the Vatican's like, well, those are invalid. And everyone's like, seriously. And he retired. <laughs> he like, yeah. he resigned because of yeah, that. It's so a whole thing. It was a huge deal to him. And they're like, yeah, those are invalid. It's like, I think God is going to give you a pass, bro. Yeah, like, I think you're good. Just a couple times. Like, it's one bishop, man. But, like, that's the kind of thing in a community like that, where you could have this former Monsignor who's sort of, like, mysteriously gone. Mm -hmm. I assume we're going to find out more about him, Monsignor Pruitt. Mm -hmm. God only knows what he was saying and whether it was, like, you know, we or I. And, like, who, again, like, on an island of 127 people, who's really going to care if he's meeting the spiritual needs of that community? Right. And Riley's brother mentions that Father Pruitt beforehand was, like, kind of going crazy. Like, you get the idea that he was, he's almost 80, if not 80 at this point. And he was, he probably had dementia because they were like, oh, well, maybe he shouldn't have traveled. And then Riley's brother says, like, he held up the host three times. I had to keep ringing the bell. Right, right. Yeah. (laughs) So, so yeah, like, I mean, I know that muscle memory and repetition is a good way to remember things like that. But yeah, what, like, at what point does that stop? You know, when you're almost 80 years old and you probably have, like, some sort of memory issue. But yeah, it's such a Catholic deep cut that there's a part where Bev Keen, when she like starts the the service, she says it's the seventh Sunday of ordinary time. And I was like, first time I watched this, I'm like, it's all ordinary time, though. Like, what's not ordinary time? What's extraordinary time? (laughs) It's all one time. Like, and so I didn't know that it's like considered, you know, when you're outside of Easter and Lent, like it's different time. I I didn't know that. It, she even makes a con. What are what are his robes called? I just call them vestments, but the, like they have a special name for the robe. Oh yeah, it's the um I forget what the word is, but it's the top vestment. Yeah, the, yeah, and the colors coordinate to like the different feast days. So green is ordinary time. Yeah, and and she like she's like, why are you wearing gold? Yeah, because gold is for holy days of obligation and feast days. And he was like, well, I couldn't find the green one. <laughs> thought yeah. this was better than just... The, I wonder what the protocol is. Like, what if it gets destroyed? Yeah. <laughs> what if you just can't have it? Yeah, it's like, it's fine. And see, that's exactly the dichotomy they're setting up. Is like, the priest himself is just like... Like, would you rather me have worn my pajamas? <laughs> like, hey, I'm here, like, doing the thing for the community And yet you have Bev, this character who is so hung up on the details of it, yeah, you know, and who can't, like, if it's not exactly to the letter of the law, it's wrong and it's improper. Because he's supposed to be the head honcho. Yeah. And it seems like in in this community, in a tight-knit community, he's kind of a community leader, too. Yeah. He's not the mayor, but he's certainly at least... Uh, Father Pruitt was a very highly respected member of this community. So for her to come out and be like, you wore the wrong thing. Mm -hmm. And I don't think anybody else like really cared. Like maybe they noticed, but they were just like, he's new. Maybe it's because he's celebrating, you know, but Bev Keen's like, "Uh uh-uh, no gold investments for you. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I'll be interested to see 
how those two characters develop because also kind of his interaction with Riley was really interesting to me mm-hmm. where he was doing the whole, you know, confronting Riley like, hey, I saw you didn't take communion. And Riley said, well, I'm not, you know, he kind of made up an excuse where he's like, ah, I'm not like worthy of that grace right now. Mm-hmm. And the priest goes into this whole thing that because I know this is a horror show. Yeah. <laughs> this is this is a horror television show. I'm like, uh oh, uh oh, you know, like, let me be suspicious of this, even though on the surface it's like real chill. You know, he says, Well, like Jesus, you know, he was more interested in hanging out with the people who weren't, you know, who weren't perfect and were in need of some good grace and all this stuff. And, you know, on the surface you're like, oh, that guy's all right. Yeah. He's pretty chill. But of course, since it's horror, I'm like, uh-oh, he's <laughs> Satan. <laughs> okay, so the storm rolls in, and towards the end of the episode, Riley is looking out his window. The storm is raging. There's thunder, lightning, all kinds of crazy stuff. The The tide is rolling in. It's bad times. And he thinks he sees Father Pruitt out the window and chases him down the beach. What did you think was happening? I have many theories and questions about that so we know that riley sees some kind of visions and what we don't know is if that's him confronting his guilt over the accident and the young woman he killed or if that's like he's seeing ghosts or actual spirits so we we don't know that yet i don't know that yet i haven't i haven't decided because it could really go either way in this first episode you know it could be a purely psychological thing or it could be something supernatural So if we're going with supernatural, it could be the spirit of Father Pruitt. It could be some sort of demon or ghost messing with an already vulnerable person Mm -hmm. or an already vulnerable community. Certainly we're led to believe that with the whole thing with the cats, that there may or may not be some kind of monster in the woods that is eating some of these feral cats. So, you know, old boy in the trench coat and hat could be some kind of monster, you know, running across the beach. It could be Father Pruitt wandering around addled with dementia or possessed. There there are a lot of different ways this could go at this point. Yeah, because Father Pruitt's just kind of mysteriously gone. Yeah. Like he went on a pilgrimage, but then Father Paul comes and says like, Oh, he's on the mainland. Like, don't be worried. He's coming back. I promise you he's not gone. Um, But that's it. And everybody's just kind of like, okay. They just kind of take him at his word because they're like, oh, well, he's Father Paul. Like, we got to listen to him. I thought it was very interesting. And I don't know if it factors into the story, but it's certainly, um, if nothing else, really cognizant of the state of the Catholic Church as of late, where he says, don't worry, you won't lose your pastor. Because a lot of churches right now are having to combine under singular pastors, especially in small rural communities, because mm-hmm. there just aren't as many men, I would say people, but men are the only people allowed to become priests right. in the Catholic Church, and there aren't as many men who are doing that. Uh, so they're having to do a lot of combining, and that is a big fear among like local communities, is that they're not going to have a pastor that is their own or serving their own community anymore. They're going to have to share yeah. uh, in rural communities, sometimes with three, four churches. Sure. And that person is divided between three, four small communities. 
So I don't know if that's a story device, Mm -hmm. but it was really, it was an interesting line to me. Awesome. I think we dissected that pretty yeah. pretty thoroughly. Yeah. Are you excited for episode two? Do you feel like this is something that's drawing you in? Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, I want I wanna know what's what's going on with the box too. Cause Father Paul had that weird like <laughs> vampire coffin box situation. Yeah, <laughs> like big trunk. Yeah, like and it's empty. Like do do you live in there, sir? <laughs> like, what's going on? Where's your green? I don't see green vestments in there. What the yeah, heck? yeah. It's not your wardrobe it's, box. Yeah. Is there a monster that was in that box that's now wearing the trench coat and is running around on the beach? I don't know. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Attack of the Final Girls. Find us online at attackofthefinalgirls.com, Attack of the Final Girls on Instagram and on Twitter at Final Girls Pod. Our theme music is by House Ghost and available on Rad Girlfriend Records. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. And tell your friends about us. I'm Julia. And I'm Teresa. Until next time, stay scary. Stay scary.